because you're doing something with your body that you have not been a celebrated to do, but B, you're kind of stifled. Like being a plus size person, like you may have even been stifled with movement because you haven't had the liberty to actually explore the things that your body might be able to do. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, anti-fat bias, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soulsmith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Martinez Evans. Martinez is so awesome. He is the author of the brand new book, Slow AF Run Club, the ultimate guide for anyone who wants to run. He runs slowafrunclub.com, which is a running community for folks to run in the bodies they have. He is 300 pounds and running on Instagram. I've been a big fan of his work for a long time, so it was a super treat to get to talk to him. We talk about all things running in fat bodies, in otherwise marginalized bodies, in black bodies, and how running as a sport needs to become so much more inclusive. And Martinez has lots of great ideas about that. I am not a runner, y'all. I have talked about having a dysfunctional relationship with running in the past. It is not something that's come back into my life in a big way. I have a lot of runners in my life who I love. I support running as a concept, but I'm not like super into the minutiae of it. So even if you're not a runner, you will get so much out of hearing this conversation with Martinez. It's just a really joyful approach to moving our bodies in general, to thinking about how to make exercise, fitness, all sports, more inclusive, joyful places. There's so much here. So here's Martinez, but first a quick break. So I want to pause and tell you about the Burnt Toast Bookshop. If you're a regular listener, you've heard me shout out my beloved independent bookstore, Split Rock Books, a million times. Split Rock is owned by my friends Heidi and Michael Bender, and they have the most perfect shop cat named Georgie. And they are now the official hosts of the Burnt Toast Bookshop. To be clear, this is not a real brick and mortar bookstore but it is its own official section over on their website, splitrockbks.com, where you can find every book we've ever recommended on the podcast. This includes every author I've interviewed, from Angela Garbez to Crystal Maldonado to Aubrey Gordon to Martinez Evans, who you are about to hear from in this episode. And it also includes collections of picture books, parenting books, books on puberty and aging, and every other topic that comes up here. And if you order your copy of Fat Talk from Split Rock, you can use the code FATTALK at checkout to take 10% off your order of anything in the Burnt Toast Bookshop. They ship everywhere in the United States, and they are the only place where you can get a book signed with any inscription you want by me. So this is just a win-win-win. It's a chance to support an amazing independent bookstore that gives so much to my community to get yourself or someone you love a signed copy of Fat Talk, plus a 10% discount on a huge list of other incredible books. And we are always updating the shop. Click the link in your episode description or go to splitrockbks.com slash burnt toast bookstore. Thank you so much for supporting independent body liberation journalism and independent bookstores. Alrighty, so good morning, good evening, good afternoon to wherever you're at in the world. My name is Martina Evans, and I'm a fat runner. I said it. You said, said it. Said that word. <laughs> we love it. We say it all the time here. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. Because <laughs> we're going to say a lot of F words. I'm talking about fat. We can say the other ones, too. <laughs> we're going to say it a lot. But I'm a fat runner, right? I'm also a run coach. I'm a founder of a community called Slow F Run Club. We have about 10,000 members worldwide. You may have seen me on the cover of Runner's World. You may have seen my naked body in Men's Health. 
you know, my journey and my goal right now is to get one million people to start running in the body they have right now. And we are here to talk about your awesome new book, The Slow AF Run Club, The Ultimate Guide for Anyone Wants to Run. So tell us your running origin story. Yes. So let's go back, listeners. Let's take us back. Let's take us back. You know, montage noise here, the little, <laughs> with the bells and stuff. Um, I was working at Men's Warehouse, right? I was on my feet all day, eight to 10 hours a day, commission sales, right? In hard bottom dress shoes, Ugh. walking Awful. on concrete. Awful. Pretty much concrete, right? Like it's carpet with concrete at the bottom. Yeah. So I start to develop some hip issues, which one would think would yeah, happen if you're shocking. on concrete for 10 hours, right? Want to go see a doctor, which sent me to my orthopedic specialist or orthopedic doctor. And as I'm sitting there, I'm running down all the things. Hey, doc, you know, I used to play football, currently work at Men's Warehouse on my feet all the time. My hip hurts like hell. And he's like, oh, I know what's wrong with you. Me. Okay, what's wrong with me? Him. You're fat. <laughs> and if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. I mean, just not even dressing it up at all. Just, like, <laughs> not even pretending. No, yeah. Just, you know, tell me how you really feel. So, I was like, I know he's going to die one day, but what they got to do with my hip? I'm here for hip pain. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going here for hip pain. What they got to do with my hip? So, you know, he goes on this whole thing of, like, you fat. You know, you need to start walking. You got your stomach is a pregnant woman. You got all this other stuff. Like, you need to get healthy, blah, blah, blah. And I just got fed up with his ass talking. So I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. Screw you. Screw this. I'm going to run a marathon. He laughs at me and tells me that's the most stupidest thing he heard in all of his years of practicing medicine. And then he went on to say, if I did attempt to try to marathon, uh, run a marathon, I'll die on the course. Wow. So I am fuming. Yeah. I want to bless him with these hands, but I know that's not generally accepted anymore. But I stormed out the doctor's office. I'm ruminating about this experience. I'm driving home, and I drive past a running shoe store. Uh, make a legal U-turn, go inside of there, and tell them I need shoes and I need them now. Nice. They give me some shoes. I then go home, and in my apartment complex, there are three treadmills, and two of them was already filled up with gazelles. Mm -hmm. So I'm inconveniently sandwiched between two gazelles who are running like a bat out of hell. <laughs> I'm sizing them up. One guy's going like 10, other guy's going like 9. Think to myself, I can at least go seven. Fifteen seconds later, when I pick myself up off the ground. <laughs> so, y'all, I fell. I fell off the treadmill. Oh, my gosh. The treadmill rejected me or my body rejected me? It was a mutual rejection. It was not happening that day. Yeah. It, it was, you know, two magnets, polar opposites, rejection. I was on the ground, the treadmill was still running, and I was mortified. Yeah. So I gathered everything and got the hell up out of here yeah. with tears in my eyes and thinking to myself, maybe this doctor is right. And when I got home, I had this tattoo on my right wrist. And I reached out to get the door, and I see my tattoo. The tattoo says, no struggle, no progress. This is a nod to the 1857 speech of Frederick Douglass. He goes something on the lines of like, you know, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. 
men who favor freedom yet deprecate agitation is men who want crops without plowing the land. It's men who want rain without thunder and lightning. It's men who want the ocean without its roar. And Frederick Douglass goes on to say that, you know, the struggle might be a physical one. It may be a moral one. It may be a, a mental one. But there needs to be some type of struggle in order to get progress with power. So that speech always resonated with me. Yeah. As a younger child and being there like, damn, like, ooh. Imagine sitting there and be like, fuck, yes, we're going to war. Freedom. Yeah. yeah. I want to be there. So I got this tattoo when I was pretty young. And all of that was going through my head as, you know, I reached for the doorknob and I was like, okay, I know what I need to do. And the next day I went back out there and the day after that and the day after that and ended up running my first marathon about 18 months later. Amazing. And ran eight marathons since then and a hundred other different distances. That's incredible. You said in the book, you don't remember that doctor's name. I really Really hope he sees the book and he sees your Instagram and he just, he knows in his heart what he did. I think he Yes. Did. So you started because you wanted to prove the doctor wrong, but when did you really start to love running and what do you love about it? Oh, my first race. Nice. So my first race, before then, I'm pretty much training in the incubator, like not even the incubator, in the vacuum. So like I'm going to run early so nobody can see me because I'm still embarrassed of my body mortified when somebody uh, honked the horn and I don't know if they celebrate me or what or not. Mm-hmm. So sign up for this 5K. And I get there and I'm like, all right, I'm like, I know I'm slow. So I'm just going to park myself in the back. So I go way back, Virginia. Like I go where there's like moms with strollers <laughs> with like golden retrievers attached to them. <laughs> Thought a mom in a stroller Mama, too, with a golden retriever was going to run faster than me. And then the gun goes off. And, like, yeah. I'm like, fuck, these moms and strollers are in my fucking way. I thought they were going to run faster than me. <laughs> and as I'm continuing to, like, run past people and, like, I run past the moms and then I run past, like, the people who are walking. And then I start to run past people who are actually running. And, like, that's when it hit me. I said, holy shit. Yeah. Damn. I'm doing this running thing. You are doing it. And when I crossed that finish line, I had, like, the biggest smile on my face because it hit me. And I was bitten by the running bug that day. That is so awesome. And you were passing people, I'm assuming, who were thinner, who had that, quote, runner's body or natural runner's body that is obviously bullshit. And I was shocking people. Like, imagine, like, you running, you and your groove, and, like, this fat man run past your ass. You're like, wait a minute. I need to run faster. So like that was that was <laughs> happening too. People was like, holy shit, I need to run fast. He running fast. I need to run faster. I'm like, I'm just living life. Yeah. Keep up if you can. <laughs> I do want to talk about that though, because you know, as you experienced this huge barrier for so many fat runners, for black runners, for anyone running in a non-traditional runner's body who isn't the gazelle on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. You know, is this experience of feeling unsafe running in public places, of not wanting to go to the gym with the treadmills or go to the park because of what you're going to experience? Yeah. So, like, let's talk fat talk. This is something I had to experience my whole life, right? One of the lasting experiences that will be for the next book is this. When I was 10 or 11, I wanted to play low league football. However, there is a weight limit. 
a weight limit. Yes. So, like, there is an age range. So, like, you know, you know, age 10 to 12 or, like, 9 to 11. And there's also, like, a weight limit that goes with that. So, they put you on a scale. No. <laughs> yes, they do. I'm already in front mad. Of everybody. I'm already mad. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> they put you on a scale in front of everybody. And if you're over a certain weight, what I experienced was a coach saying, get that man a garbage bag. To do what with? To put that terrible scale in and throw out? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) They made every kid who was over the weight limit run in trash bags. Oh, my God. To sweat the fat off. And you were how old? (laughs) 10, 11. Oh, my God. No older than 12. So it's something that I had to experience early on in life. Yeah. It's a great metaphor for life of, you know, you're fat, you're overweight, you're over this arbitrary weight, but you're not old enough to go to the next age range. And then when we talk about, like, the stereotypes of fat people being unathletic and lazy, could it be because we aren't allowing them on the teams and they're running in trash bags? So, (laughs) imagine internalizing that of, like, literally inside of a trash bag. You're running. Like, you put the trash bag on, like, a little shirt and poke holes in it. You're running trash bag. Kids are yelling at you, laughing, pointing, calling you a garbage kid. So as I get older, I have to be a lot more quicker on my feet because as you get bullied, there's two ways you can kind of handle this. You can either like accept it and cry or you can fight back. Yeah. Martinez was the one who fought back and also talked shit about somebody. Yeah. So like. You called me fat, I'm going to find that one thing about you, and I'm going to harp on it. Mm-hmm. Your shoes are dirty, your mama ugly, whatever, I'm going to let you know, mm-hmm. right? So as I get older and I'm out running and I'm dealing with this stuff, these are some of the things that that I'm also dealing with, right? People are honking their horns, people calling me fat, yada, yada, yada. And one of the things that I have to do is, is fight back. So yeah. I'm a fight back type of guy. Yeah. Of course, you can be like, all right, fuck them, yada, yada, yada. When they go low, we go high. Screw that sometimes. you got yeah. Sometimes you got to troll the troller. It's true. It's really true. <laughs> sometimes you got to troll their ass back. And that's the mode that I tend to take is that, you know, somebody honking in their car, raggedy ass car. I'm going to let them ass know. You fat, your car raggedy. <laughs> 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 but this is where, like, mindset comes into play, right? And one of the things that, I do as a coach is to provide psychological safety so that the people that I am coaching are able to be able to quote unquote fail or like stumble along the way as they are embarking in this new journey of Mm -hmm. fitness. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like. So what that looks like is like letting them know that obstacles and rising up in the face of adversity is a good thing. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, they think it's a bad thing. Like, oh, I face adversity. I'm slow. Or here's the thing I always get is that I started running and then I got a little tired and I started walking and I felt absolutely horrible mm-hmm. that I had to walk. And then me come in and say, well, what was wrong with that? Did you yeah. start running again? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, fuck. Like, let's celebrate that then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's that thing of letting people know that it's okay to bumble and stumble and figure this thing out because you're doing something with your body that you have not been a celebrated to do right but b 
you're kind of stifled. Like being a plus size person, like you may have even been stifled with movement because you haven't had the liberty to actually explore the things that your body might be able to do. You got to explore and figure all this stuff out. So like that's where providing psychological safety is, is letting them know that it's okay. Yeah. It's almost like imagine a kid who's like riding a bike for the first time. They ride the bike, you let it go. They lose their balance. They fall. They scrape their knee. They're going to cry. They're going to be like, oh, I don't want to ride this bike anymore. It's horrible. I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this. But as a good parent or as a good coach, you're going to be like, okay, let's cry it out. Mm -hmm. You done crying? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let's get your ass back on that bike. Right. Right. The same thing is true with physical activity. All right. You you did it. You got a side stitch. Okay. Cool. Let's figure this out. Yeah. Oh, you got shin splints? Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's figure this out. Oh. Oh, you got delayed onset muscle soreness? Great. <laughs> Let's figure this out. But guess what? Your ass going to continue to move. That's the approach that I take. Like, we're all going to fall off. And somewhere around us being grown start to be embedded in us, like, Doing something and then, like, failing or, like, not getting it right on the first time is a bad thing. Right. I think it's school. I yeah. blame school. I think school is a lot of it. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, when a baby's learning to walk, they fall a million times. And people aren't yeah. like, you should stop trying to walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> Imagine that. Like, somebody walking. <laughs> a baby trying to walk and they said, screw you, baby. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you suck. You're not very. <laughs> Damn you for trying to walk. You're a you fat baby walk. who can't walk. Yeah. <laughs> and yet. We have this narrative that then kicks in of somehow, if I have to stop to walk during my run, that's a, like a moral failing. Like walking right. and running are morally equivalent activities, right? Like if you're walking some of it, if you're running some of it, as you said, like the pace of your running, if you are slow, that is still running. There's no need to be attaching all these values to it. But it does seem like the culture of running at large is so built on that paradigm. And you are really challenging an entire paradigm here. Yes. I am. Here's why. If you're not an elite athlete who's like their life depends on winning prize money and like going to the Olympics, all of us are then paying for a participation medal to participate in a parade. (laughs) I really love relabeling marathons and other races as parades. That is is what they are. But Virginia, if you think about it, though, like, Depending on, like, some municipalities, when you go get the permit, it's literally a parade permit. it literally is. So we are all paying to participate in a parade to get a medal at the end of this, a participation medal. Right. So if that's the case, then none of this shit matters. Whether we get there slower than the elite runners or the last person, because Mm -hmm. we're all participating in this parade. Yeah. Everyone gets to be in the parade. Talk a little about course time limits, because that's a really clear way that not everyone's allowed in the parade. It is a big problem. And that's my thing, Virginia, is that uh, last time I checked, my money is still as green and spinning just the same Mm -hmm. as somebody who finished the race before I did. Mm -hmm. Yet, a lot of these races, like I said, they fall on the laurels of like doing it the old school way, where racing was just for like white men, right? Mm -hmm. Before even women got into running, right? right? right. So 
all of that stuff is based off that. And then they they fall on a thing of like, well, municipalities and blah, blah, blah. And like we're working with all these other people to make this happen. And there's no way we can add an extra hour. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> there's no way we can add an extra hour. Like we've been here all day, volunteers, blah, blah, blah. And my thing is get creative. Yeah. Get creative. We understand that. As a slow runner, I understand you can't have the city open all day long for a parade. However, can you get creative with it? Mm -hmm. Can you give us a rolling start? Mm -hmm. Or can you give the people who actually want to participate in this and let them know that, hey, you can start before everybody else, but you may not be supported. But when the race is officially open, mm -hmm. you will be supported. I can tolerate that. Especially because in the beginning, you're starting out strong and you're less likely you're going to need the support. Exactly. Versus the final five miles or whatever. Exactly. But what they do is they line us up from speed-wise. They put all the fast people in the front. They put all the slow people in the back yeah, so and shitty. say good luck. I mean, some of the experiences you talk about in the book of support wagons, like harassment from support mm. wagons, like the people who are there to make sure people finish the races safely, actually harassing you. Yes. So all of that goes into like my anger when it comes to like, now I'm as furiated as you are when I mention like trash bags. Garbage kid. Garbage kid. Oh my God. I'm so angry about that. So talk a little more about what needs to change. What else do we need to do to make running a more inclusive sport across the board? I go to these conferences where, like, race directors come together and try to figure out how to do better and all this other shit. And one of the things that, like, their big thing is diversity, right? But mm -hmm. it's, like, diversity from like, a race standpoint or diversity from a gender politics standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. So while they're arguing and trying to figure that out, I think the last thing they need to really think about is that, like, pace diversity and, like, people in a, who are also in the back of the pack and what they can do as well because, like, we pay money as well to participate in this mm -hmm. thing. So in addition to that, right, I think racing in general, like I said, when you go back to the olden days, the old school, as I like to call it, or some of the guys, like the good old days of running, is is usually a sport for white men, right? Mm -hmm. Like women even participate in this because they thought y'all uteruses are going to fall out yeah. or some shit. Well, that know. was a big concern of ours yeah, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, like uteruses. Just like, flying you know, out of us all the time. I don't know why they thought that. Like, <laughs> it wasn't falling out before a run, but like, <laughs> it's like, well, if they run 26 miles, it's just going to... Just, just drop out, out on the all, all these uteruses at the finish line, just piling up. <laughs> yeah. That's... What are we going to do? All these uteruses? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's messy. You know, it would have been messy. So you can see why they were concerned. But somehow, 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 we've managed. Y'all persisted. Y'all, somehow, Kegels or whatever kept y'all uteruses from falling <laughs> We did it. Um, oh, yeah. Man. yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a very white male sport, very thin white man sport, too. But very thin white man yeah. sport. So as a black man, I think that there's, you know, things that the sport in general, I think just people in general just need to think about as being a person of color, right? So, for example, there has been situations where I've been slammed on police cars. I've been investigated or, like, stopped during a run because it's like what are you doing running and it's like 
running. Literally just that. <laughs> just running. Just right? running. Like, yeah. I'm in the brightest gear ever. Yeah. And the police is talking about, like, as soon as you see my car, you started running. And I was like, that's a lie. I was already running. <laughs> <laughs> got 20 miles. Are you stopping me? Oh, so man. I think like those are all the things that we also really need to think about is that how do we protect all of our populations so they can feel good and feel safe to participate in this sport? So, for example, I was at Boston Marathon and like the big thing was mile 21 is where like the proverbial wall at. Right? Mm-hmm. So there is tons of people cheering and things of that sort. And this group called the Pioneers Run Club and Trailblazers are also there. And historically, there are people of color. And, like, they're not doing anything different from, like, a traditional race spectator. Mm-hmm. However, the police presence there is a lot more because they are impeding on the racers' course. However... You know, there's people on the course who got, like, balloon arches and, like, passing out beards and shots and things right. of that sort, and there's no police presence there. Yeah, that's really infuriating and needs to be something that the people organizing the races are talking more directly with the municipalities and with the police forces ahead of time right. about how we're going to create a safe space for everybody. And supposed to, it feels like right now people are noting it when it happens and sort of reacting backwards as opposed to actually addressing this issue head on. Yes. It's like nobody has forethought. And it's interesting because it's not like it's only just happening for the first time. Yes. And then the last thing is, And this is just the hill I'm willing to die on is that if I'm paying for this race, y'all should have a shirt size to fucking fit me. Yeah, that seems basic. So that's the last thing is that I feel like it's lazy. Or like they're like, oh, well, a larger size costs more. So what? Mm, Pay the extra two or three dollars. As you're saying, everybody's paying to be in the race. So you're all entitled to the shirt. If you got a race, they got 20,000 people in there. Yeah. What, you maybe have 50 people who need a 3X or a larger shirt? Which right there is a problem because you should have way more than 50 people who need that shirt if you're exactly. making an inclusive sport. Yeah. Do a fucking dollar cost of average analysis across all the other 20,000 fucking shirts you just bought. I think you could work it out. I appreciated in the book when you were talking about post-race recovery and depression. And mm. I really appreciated your mention of working with a therapist during that time. And I do just want to name, especially for a lot of the folks listening to this, running can be so amazing, but it can also be a disordered behavior for lots of folks. And I wondered if we could just talk a little bit about that piece of things. How do you think about that? How have you made sure your own relationship with running stays positive? Well, that's the thing is that anything that has numbers that can be counted can be a distorted Uh, activity. And that's the thing about running is numbers and and paces and all the other shit that comes along with it. So one of the things that I work on, right, or things I do, of course, therapy. That's always it. I'm a big advocate for that. Yep. Yep. We love therapy. (laughs) Is making sure there's some boundaries around running. Making sure like running is not my end all be all. Mm -hmm. I think that is a big thing that for most people, getting them to understand is that Running should not be your end-all, be-all. And if that's it, like, that's a problem. Yeah. So, with that being said, I do other things. 
I like playing video games. I like walking, playing fetch with my dog. I like spending time with my wife. Like, mm-hmm. I make sure to add those things in there so I'm not obsessive over the numbers because anything that has numbers, we can be obsessive over it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I really do is that I make a plan and I stick to it. Or at least try to stick to 80% of it. Yeah, that seems fair. I try to stick to about 80% of it. So that way, I'm not beating myself up and knowing that it's all of a sum of averages. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing. And I think that's something as a coach, that's something that I spend a lot of time getting people to feel comfortable with is that, hey, you don't have to run every day to be considered a runner. Yeah, that's a big one. It's okay to take breaks. And this is what you do during the breaks. And I think for a lot of people, they just need the permission to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got an email earlier today where, you know, I asked people, and my email list, like, what's one thing that you're struggling with? And somebody was like, well, you know, I just don't have the motivation to do it. I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And I just responded back that says, this is your permission to get your ass off the couch and go run. Mm. And it's like, this is just what I needed. <laughs> Thank you. So it can go both ways. It can go <laughs> right. both ways. People need permission to do this. And people need permission to not do it. So really getting, really to understand for you, like, which one is it? Because you're either going to be one of those types of people, like the permission, somebody who needs permission to go do it, or the permission to say, hey, like, it's okay to take a break and you're golden. I'm more on the other end. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I can be both of those people at different times of day. So (laughs) there's also that. And then let's talk a little bit about the weight loss piece of it. You Mm. are someone who has certainly been in the intentional weight loss space. Now you're really big on running for the joy of it talk about that journey and I'm sure that also helps with keeping the running in a positive place for you. Absolutely. I think that since I've been on both sides of the scale, (laughs) I get it. I get people, right? I go back to the story of the garbage kid, right? I go back to thinking my whole life that my body is disgusting so that I need to fix it and go through this whole intentional weight loss thing, right? Like so much so, Virginia, that my first degree was in exercise science in hopes that I can learn everything possible so I can make myself in a particular weight that Mm -hmm. the world deemed me to be. I think that is so common of folks who go into exercise science and also nutrition. Yes. I think one of the things that happened to me or like the come to Jesus moment or the come to Allah moment or the come to Buddha moment is I had a car accident after my first marathon. So like I ran my first marathon, you know, lost some weight and get into the bad car accident, totaled my car, couldn't run for about seven months, mm-hmm. lost everything that I lost or gained, whatever right. you, right. you want to say, right? Lost it all, all the progress, right? Got sad, got depressive, got suicidal. And I remember I was at UConn at this time. So I was a grad student at UConn. And I remember it was like the first 50 degree day. I'm driving. And if anybody ever been on UConn camp, you go over this hill and it's like all these runners is running and shit. And I remember talking to myself and telling myself, like, you know, if I'm able to run again, like I'm going to run for the joy of it. I don't care if I'm 100 pounds lighter or 400 pounds. I don't care. Like, I just want to run because when I lost this weight, I wasn't 90 pounds happier. Right. Like, I wasn't happier because I lost this weight. Most of the time, it came with more strife because, you know, it's one thing for 
you to be this plus size and like people be like, oh, you need to lose weight, be healthier, blah, blah, blah. But there's another stab in the heart when somebody tells you, you know what? I like the fat martinis better. Mm. Right? Like, I like the fat martinis better. Like, I liked you better when you was better. I don't like this person you are now because you've lost this weight. What didn't they like? <laughs> you damn if you do and you damn if yeah. you don't. Yeah. So to go through that whole situation and be like, you know what? I'm not 90 pounds happier. My life did not necessarily miraculously change like all the infomercials told me it was. Mm-hmm. But what I enjoyed the most was the running aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The talking to random strangers while I'm running in this race, participating in this this parade and getting my medal. Like that provided me the joy that I really enjoyed versus all the other shit that came along with Weigh In Wednesdays and all the other bullshit that came mm-hmm. along with that, right? Yeah. So like that was more or less my metamorphosis. And I guess the cool thing was, since I did have this degree in exercise science and I learned all this information about cardiac rehab and strength training and all this other shit, I can pretty much flip it on its head and mm-hmm. use it against all the diet culture trolls because their knowledge comes from a, uh, I want to say a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> <laughs> It's not wrong. Not wrong. (laughs) But their information comes from false science and all this other stuff. But I actually took in the courses and have the research Mm -hmm. to back up, like, the things that I was saying. So when people were like, well, you know, why don't you lose weight? You know, you'll be more healthier. You know, I can have that conversation with them of, is it a healthy aesthetic or is it actually health? Right. Like, do you actually know my... 81Cs, blood pressure, any of that stuff. Right, right. No, right. you don't. Yeah. So that means you're just assuming I have those things because of my outer appearance. And what you pretty much is telling me is that why don't you have more acceptable aesthetic? Right. It's never really about health when they say, right. but what about health? And I can see how that helps you stay focused on the joy of running and then keep running in sort of proportion right. to the rest of your life in an important way. The other thing through that, Virginia, is that I'm also able to have insight to the people I work with because I've also been a part of that journey. And I hear so often from folks, and I feel this too, in the fitness space, whether it's running, whether it's any other sport activity you're interested in, finding people doing it that you feel safe with and who get your experience is so crucial. You know, like, I'm just so over going to a class and having to sort of, like, turn down the volume on the diety talk from the skinny instructor. Like, I'm done with it. I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) And so finding folks like you, like Lauren Lavelle, like all these people who are giving us programs that center our bodies is so, so powerful. One last piece of this is Running is also a sport that's pretty inherently ableist. It's obviously based on being able to run, which not everybody can do. And when we were talking about making the sport more inclusive, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that piece of it as well. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing is that when you get to, like, marathoning, right, it's a super ableist type of sport. Some of these marathons do have, like, hand cycles or, like, wheelchair mm-hmm. stuff like that. But that shit is expensive. Yeah, definitely. So, like, you even got to have the money to even have one of those things, to even afford a, not even just one cycle bike, but multiple cycle bikes or, like, multiple racing wheelchairs. 
And I think that that's another thing that a lot of people may not be able to get into because that shit takes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So as we are thinking about that, it, it is one of the things that, for me, it goes back to the race directors getting creative. How can we get creative so that more people can participate in this sport and really enjoy the gravitas that comes with like running a marathon or running a half marathon mm-hmm. that everybody can participate in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it really goes back into like the race director. Like, what are you doing to be creative? Like, what resources are you doing? How are you educating yourself? Yeah. Are you staying within like your same circle of people that you have conferences with? Then you're not necessarily growing. Yeah. Maybe you need to go to a conference that focuses on disabled individuals or mm-hmm. disabled athletes to really understand where they're coming from from their point of view in order to help make this sport more equitable. That's really interesting. So, Martinez, what is your butter today? Oh, can I have two pieces of butter you on can my have toast, please? Multiple butters. <laughs> okay. Black girl sunscreen. Oh, I don't know about this. Tell me. It's a sunscreen that was created by women of color. And it's one of the sunscreens that does not give me one of those white, hazy faces Mm. that comes along with sunscreen. Yeah. They have it in like, I want to say flavors, but they have it in like multiple different ways where it's like, they have one that's like a gel base. It's like matted. So like, Mm -hmm. if you sweat, it's more of a matte. They have one that's like, make it glow where it kind of glows on you, right? Nice. That's a piece of butter for y'all. That's a great butter. I like that. Hoka shoes. I love a good Hoka Mm -hmm. shoe. They are everywhere now. Yes, they are everywhere. I really just love the shoe. I really love what they stand for. And it's by far one of the most comfortable shoes that I've wear outside of running. I was going to say, it really lives up to the comfort hype. And then the last piece, I'm going to have to do a shameless plug for myself. Slow F Run Club merch. Yeah. You know, I've spent a lot of time and effort in order to make clothing that's accessible, right? So most of my clothing goes from an extra small to a five or six X. Amazing. So one of the things that I really love about that for this piece of butter is that it shows that for someone who does not have the experience in clothing, because I don't, figure it the fuck out with no budget. (laughs) (laughs) No budget, no money, just the little budget that I have. It proves that these brands can do it. Yeah. They just choose not to. So your point about let's get creative. Yes. Well, that is awesome butter. My butter this week, I was thinking about this as I was reading your book. And so I've talked about this a little bit on the pod, but I had a pretty disordered relationship with running in my 20s where it was definitely not a good space for me. And I had to really put it down for a long time and really put down all exercise for a long time and have gotten back to exercise in the last, well, I'm 42 now, so... I don't know, five years or so, and Mm. really found a lot of joy in different forms of exercise. And then in the last three months or so, as I've been in this season of book launch, I have not been exercising because I am just too damn tired. And I realized I also haven't been spiraling about the lack of exercise. Like, I, I trust that it will be back. I trust that I'm in that season of, actually, I need the nap on a Saturday afternoon more. I need time in my garden, which is also movement and joyful, but mm-hmm. just time, like peaceful time in my garden and trusting that it's coming back. And I would just shout out to 
taking those recovery periods when you need them and recognizing that not every season of life is marathon season or whatever your yeah. equivalent is. Absolutely. I agree. I like that piece of butter. And I'm like, I'm jazzed to get back to it, you know, when like now that my schedule is lightening up and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see it fitting back in. It's great. But it was nice not to have that spiral going on. Well, this was great. Tell folks where they can follow you, how we can support your work. Everyone needs to go get the book. That is your number one assignment. But what else do you need from us? Yes, go get the book. Comes out June 6th, available wherever books are sold. If you want to know more about the Slow AF Run Club, you can find us at slowafrunclub.com. And we also have an app on iOS and Android. So after you get done with this podcast, open up your app store and download our app. Come on in. We're amazing members of 2,000 plus individuals who are here to love on you and get you running in the body that you have right now. And then you can find out more about me on my personal Instagram. That's at 300 pounds and running. That's 300, spell out pounds and running. And yeah, if you're interested about Slow AF Run Club merch, you can go to slowafstore.com. Amazing. We will do all of that. Thank you, Martinez, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player. Tell a friend about this episode, especially if they're a runner or any kind of exerciser, and leave us a rating or a review. Just scroll down in Apple Podcasts till you see the stars and tap. These really help folks find the podcast and help us grow. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 per month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism.